Well, good morning. We're going to be in John chapter 10 uh, this morning. We're going to look at the first 10 verses and another I am statement of Jesus. And so I just want to dive right in and read this uh, together this morning. Uh, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, there's some great truth in this verse, but what is the I am statement that Jesus says here? I'm the door, right? I am the door. And he says it a couple times, and I I thought this week as I was studying, I thought, you know, we could really combine this one with the next one, um, because, you know, a, a door, right? What is the significance of a door? In fact, let's ask that question. What is the significance of a door? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the importance of a door? What's the significance? Come on, crowd participation. Let's go. To keep things out, to, to close, right? So if we keep things out, provide safety, right? A door provides safety and security. What else? Entry or exit. Right? If there's a door, then there's a, there's a way out, <laughs> right? Which we have five, actually seven if you count these, right? And so, so seven, seven exits here if things go. Okay, what else? Anything else? Privacy. Thanks for speaking on his behalf. Damn, privacy, right? It provides a noise barrier. What about a weather barrier, right? It provides a noise barrier, a, a weather barrier for safety and security. I think that's good. But we also use door as a figure of speech when we talk about how God opens a door for us, right? Um, I'm going to walk through this door as long as God has this door opened for us. And so let's, let's come back and, and kind of give, uh, make a few observations before we jump into the text and kind of take it verse by verse. This I am statement is both personal and powerful. Okay? Why? Because as Jesus does with the other I am statements, he states strongly, I, even I, and only I am the door. His listeners would have immediately thought of Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 14, when, G- when, when God says, I am who I am, right? I am who I am. When Jesus declares himself to be the door, right, I, I, I thought of um, 
A couple of different passages, Psalm 78, verse 23, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. Genesis 28, 17, when Jacob had a dream of a stairway to heaven, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So there are quite a few verses that refer to God, Jesus being the door, being the gate. And secondly, Jesus is contrasting himself here with the Pharisees. The religious leaders of that time. He's referring to the events of chapter 9 in which he gave sight to a, to a man who was born blind because of an unfortunate chapter break here. Because if you know anything about the Bible, you know that the verses and the chapters, they came later. This would have been, been a continual story. And in fact, they've come out with different um, edits of the, the Bible where it has it without the chapter numbers and the verse numbers and all of that. It's a little hard to follow along and to find reference if you do that, but um, you know, Jesus is just continuing right along from this miracle where he gave sight to a, a blind man, and it's easy to think that chapter 10 is a different conversation, but it's the same conversation, and the Pharisees railed on him and, and this new believer, and according to, to chapter 9, verse 34, they cast him out because of this, Jesus subsequently accuses them of being thieves and robbers because of casting him out. And it's important to see that Jesus here is contrasting himself with those religious leaders of the day. Lastly, before we jump back into the text and maybe have a little bit of fun this morning, the setting here is a normal day for a sheep and a shepherd. Normal day. In verses 1 through 5, it's morning and the shepherd is forming his flock. We're going to look at that a little bit closer here in a few minutes. In verses 7 through 10, the time moves to midday and the shepherd is feeding his flock. Shepherding was not only an important role in, in that society, but it was a great role. And, and next week we're going to talk about how Jesus is the good shepherd. He, he says, I am the good shepherd. And you know, I, I, I wanted to save this for next week, but I think it's important to point out today because whenever you hear a preacher talk about sheep, they usually talk about how, um, how dumb the sheep are, right? And I can talk about them like that because I is one, okay? I'm a sheep just like you're a sheep, and we're all sheep up in here, right? And, and, and whenever you hear a preacher talk about sheep, it's typically in the context of how the Bible refers to us as sheep um, and, 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 and how sheep are the dumbest animal around. But, 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 I mean, I would argue that, first of all, because we got to bring cats in. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. If you're a cat person, forgive me. And get help. Anyway, um, but actually, whenever you see the sheep mentioned in Scripture, it's because it's mentioning and talking about how good the shepherd is. And again, we're going to talk about that a lot next week because Jesus, the I am statement is, I am the good shepherd. So maybe to tease you a little bit, not necessarily because he talks about here in these first 10 verses too, I think it's important for us to remember how good the shepherd is. And we've seen he's the bread of life. We've seen he's the living water. We've seen these, 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 these different I am statements so far. And, 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 and they've all been to, to say that I am the better bread. I am the better 
water. I'm the better life. So, is it okay if we have a little fun this morning? Who wants to play along with me? All right, Alex, you can play along, okay? I need you to stand up. All right, so, have you ever, have you ever seen the TV show, Let's Make a Deal? All right. Nope, that's deal or no deal. Come on. Come on, man. You got to work with me. You got to work with, oh, no, t- okay. All right, Sammy, can you help me out? Can you come over and stand next to this door? No, stay standing, Alex. You're still in this thing. And Bria, you got that door, okay? So you've got door number two, Sammy, and Bria's got door number one, all right? Now, Alex, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick door number one or door number two. And there's something behind both of those doors, hopefully, as long as nobody cleaned it up um, this morning. It was a little proactive. I didn't think about that. Um, There's something behind door number one, door number two. It's going to be completely yours. You just pick a door. No, you can't, don't move. You just stay right there and you pick a door. Don't get too involved here. And come on, I got a whole sermon to preach. Come on. Door number one. Okay, now before you, Bria shows you what's behind door number one, I want to I make you a deal, okay? I will give you a Summit sticker right here for not taking door number one. It's supposed to be one per person. This was re- okay. Um, all right, I'll sweeten the deal a little bit. You can have the summit sticker and what's behind door number two if you don't take door number one. You want door number one? All right, Bria, show them what's behind door number one. Go behind the door. Look behind the door. You're actually probably going to really like this. A brand new notebook. Awesome. There you go. Give it to Alex, Sammy. Let's show them what was behind door number two. Can you do that real quick? Who knew that your pastor would be the game show host, leader, whatever? You good, Sammy? A, a deeper t-shirt. A deeper t-shirt. All right, put it back there for the second service. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, y'all can have a seat. Y'all can have a seat. <laughs> High five as you're going by. Nice t-shirt. I like that. You think they're going to win today? Good talk. Okay. Just to have a little bit of fun, right, this morning. I was going to try to find a whole door frame and use that as an illustration, but I thought we could have a little fun and play Let's Make a Deal instead. The point is, right, the point is, many times in our lives we've stood at a door. A big decision. A relationship decision, a job decision, a major decision, right, what to major on in, in school, um, school or no school, right? Many times we've stood at the door, and, and I would venture to say there's some of us that are standing at the door this morning and trying to decide, what, what do I do? Do I walk through the door? Do I stay here? I don't know about you, but there are a couple things in my life that I'm, that I'm praying through right now. Do I walk through the door? Do I not walk through the door? And it's huge. And Jesus writes this because to keep with the theme of John, he's saying, I'm the better door. The whole theme of John, right, is Jesus teaching that he is the better than. He's better than door number one. He's better than door number two. He's better than the the new car. Um, He's better than. Jesus is better than. And so... For us this morning, 
Jesus being the door means three things for us. And number one is this. He's the door of salvation. He says there in verse 9, He is the door of salvation. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be saved, right? And so at the front end of this verse, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The first thing that we discover is that the door is a person. I am, right? And the way in is personal. If anyone. The way in is personal. Jesus declares that he is the door and that the only entrance is by me. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. He's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way. He is the door. So let's break down this a little bit further. Break this down a little bit further. We notice some things about this. First, there's a single entrance. There's a single entrance. A a, a sheepfold only had one entry point. Just as Noah was instructed when he he constructed the ark to make only one door into the ark, so too there was only one way to be saved from certain destruction. Jesus says, I am the door. There is a single entrance. While this is not very popular in our culture, all roads do not lead to heaven. Amen? Can we, just, can we just make that known for a few minutes? I listened to a, a message this past week, and the speaker said, listen, are we going to live based on our feelings or based on God's design? Are we going to live based on our desire for our life or based on God's design for our life? Not all roads lead to heaven. We don't all worship the same God. Right? Sincerity doesn't get you there. Good works aren't enough. Jesus is the only way. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, found, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men which we must be saved. There's a single entrance. There's a single entrance. And that entrance has a name. What's his name? Jesus. Right? Jesus. Number two And this is just as important as number one, right? There's a single entrance, but number two, anyone can enter. Look there at verse nine again. He says, says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone, anyone can enter. Salvation is available for all. There's a single entrance, but it's available for all. If anyone enters by me, it's not limited to one group of people, but is intended for the whole world. In John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? The entire world. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've been living. The only way in is by relationship, not ritual, religious activity, because Christianity is Jesus himself. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, there's a single entrance, right? But salvation is available for all. Number three, it's costly. It's costly. It's costly. While the way is open, and this this is a place where I feel like maybe we've got to come to grips with some things as the, the church today. You guys ready for this? Everybody had their coffee?
It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not always the most popular decision. It's not easy. It's not easy to always live by God's design for your life over our desires. It's not easy. um, Confession time for a moment. Is that okay? Um, I was... uh, I'm getting my truck fixed. Now, some of you guys know what my truck looks like. It's blue, and it's old, and it's rusty. And it's just the way I like it, because it's Carolina blue. Okay? All right, it's beautiful. All right, it's at 2006. It's got less than 100,000 miles on it. It's a plow truck, and it's a truck where you can do anything to it, and it doesn't matter, right? That's the right kind of truck, okay? All right. This week, I took it to get it fixed. And the place where I took it to get it fixed, they gave me a rental car. Now, Dolores, let me tell you about this rental car. 2019, I got in that puppy, it had 500 miles on it. 500, 500, not any more zeros after that. 500. This thing's big, it's a diesel, it purrs, it growls, it's awesome. (laughs) And so, me and Ezra and the kids have been having some fun because my truck's not done yet. We were driving around Friday, and uh, we were driving around Friday, and, and we ran into somebody in town. They don't, they don't go to this church. And he looked at me and said, don't drive that truck to church on Sunday. I was like, why? He's like, that's a $60,000 vehicle. You don't want people to get the wrong impression. <laughs> well, I did, because I had to. Can I ask you something? Don't you think it's sad? That that crosses our mind when it comes to each other. I mean, isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that I, hey, what does that mean? I was sharing that with, I shared that with a police officer the other day. He's like, yeah, you wouldn't believe how many notes I got when I got my Jeep. Wow, you must be making a lot of money as a police officer. He's like, it's almost like we can't have nice things. He's like, doesn't give any thought to how we handle our finances or maybe what we value, because maybe our values are different, right? And that's okay. But I thought, isn't that interesting? So, so as a pastor, am I not allowed to have nice things? As a, as a Christian, are we not allowed to have nice things? And I just think that's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, forgive me for just a moment, but that's crazy. That's crazy. That's not fair. Right? And I'm not saying, hey, look, it's a rental, and buddy, I'm driving, I've been through the mud twice. Like, I'm having the time of my life, because tomorrow I get to take it back. And I get Big Blue back, and we're going to go crazy in Big Blue, because she's going to be fixed, and it's going to be all good in the hood. But it just reminded me on Friday in that conversation the fishbowl that we're in as Christians. Especially if you're a leader within the church. It's costly. A relationship with Jesus is costly. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot more at stake than what type of car your pastor drives. Amen? Okay. 
All right, we'll move on. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Just to um, add on to that point, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A relationship with Jesus is costly. Number four, a response is necessary. A response is necessary. There's a single entrance. Anyone can enter. It's costly, but a response is necessary. While the door is open 24-7, an individual must enter that door in order to be saved. One must believe and receive. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now, today is the day of salvation. Before we leave this point, that the door is a door of salvation, before we walk away from this point. Notice that Jesus doesn't say you might be saved or maybe you'll get in, but rather if anyone enters by me, he will. Everybody say will. Be saved. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but that's encouragement right there this morning. That encourages me this morning. Number two, not only is it a door of salvation, it's a door of safety. It's a door of safety. Look at the second part of verse 9. He says he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The first thing we're given is salvation. Secondly, we are given that the sheep know that they're safe because the shepherd is protecting them. Remember, good shepherd. We're going to talk about that next week. According to the last part of verse 9, the sheep will go in and go out. They'll be able to go in and out. They'll be able to go in and out. The sheep were safe inside the fold and they were secure to go out into the pasture because the shepherd was with them. It's the idea of everyday living. Deuteronomy 28.6, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Psalm 121 verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We see a similar idea in Psalm chapter 23. Many of us know these verses, verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but I like that we as sheep get to come in and go out. We get to go in and go out. We come in to gather. We come in to grow. We come in to give in order so that we can go out. We gather here and we go out there to bring others into here. We come in and we go out with freedom because Jesus wants us to live life with liberty, not shackled down with rules and regulations and legalism. That's not the plan. He wants us to walk in freedom when we go out in pasture because he's there to shepherd us and to protect us whether we're in the pen or out in the pastures we pass through Jesus and receive his grace we can go about our daily routines and we can be confident about our salvation and our ultimate safety isn't that awesome he's a door of salvation he's a door of safety and then number three he's a door of satisfaction door of satisfaction. There's one more guarantee that we see here in verses 9 and 10, and it's this. Find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I don't know about you, but this verse gets me pretty excited. That I might have life and have it abundantly. Now we're gonna we're gonna spend some time on that in just a few moments, but let's let's take this a little bit piece by piece for a second. There's one more promise that we see in these verses, and it's the it's the promise that we will experience satisfaction. 
We shared this a couple weeks ago. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Experience satisfaction and find pasture. But there's a thief. And the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's some things that we need to notice here in this verse. The first one is this. Jesus meets the needs of those in his flock. Now, let's pause for a second. Let me, let me read the. Let me, let me say that again, okay? You ready? Jesus meets the needs of those in his flock. Now, what did... What did that not say? Jesus doesn't necessarily meet the wants of his flock. See, see, I talk to a lot of people and I feel like we have this, 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 this misconception, right? And, and we'll come together and we'll, we'll show up to, to small group or, or, or we'll, we'll show up to coffee with somebody and we're like, I'm praying for something and it's a, it's a real need and, 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 and God's just not granting it. Well, what is it? A 2019 truck with 500 miles on it. <laughs> Just seemed logical that we bring that back into the picture, right? <laughs> well, it, and, and, and a lot of us, a lot of us in that conversation, right? I know because I've been there too, right? We just sit back and we're like, oh, yeah, that is a need for you, right? No. What's the need? Jesus, the good shepherd, he meets the needs. Everybody say needs. Needs of those in his flock. Notice that the sheep go in and they go out and they find pasture. We learned a couple weeks ago, the hunger of the human soul can only be satisfied by the bread of life. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. Since the Lord is my shepherd, listen church, I will not lack anything that is really necessary and good for me. I will not lack anything that is really necessary and good for me. <clears throat> I was thinking about this on Friday as I was talking with my wife Kristen, and we were just talking about different things, and we, we, were, we were reminiscing about the shepherd. And we were reminiscing about how we made a commitment in, in, in college that we wanted to do ministry for the rest of our lives, and we wanted to do it full time. Right? And, and we just did. And, and that was a commitment we made. And I know there are a lot of churches, and, and there's a lot of studies right now that say every pastor will, be, will have to be, will have to be, not, not will be, but will have to be bivocational by the year of 2030. And, and those things are real, and those things are a reality. And that's, that's, that's fine with us if that comes, right? But we just really felt like that God was calling us to be full-time into ministry, engaged in ministry, and, and do that uh, and, and can I tell you something? We've never been in want. There was one time, and some of you may remember this, there was one time where I was going to go work at L.L. Bean. The day before we were, I was supposed to go to work, we showed, up, we showed home after church, and there was like $2,000 sitting, sitting in our front door. And we were like, all right, I guess we're not supposed to do this thing. 
and I didn't. And look, that's not, that's not to say, like, I, I know, I know, I know many, plenty of missionaries, I know plenty of people that have, have, have gone with, out, and have struggled, and, and all of those things, and I'm not saying that we're better than by any means. I'm saying that we've been covered by the grace of God, and it's been unbelievable how He has shown up for us in the past. We've never been in want. We've never been in need. One of the best definitions of contentment that I've ever heard goes like this. Contentment is not having everything you want. Contentment is wanting everything you have. Contentment is not having everything you want. Contentment is wanting everything you have. Friend, listen to me. If Jesus is your shepherd, Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. If Jesus is your shepherd, everything else is secondary. And it's that perspective of contentment that shifts the game for us. If the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything that you need. So Jesus meets the needs of His flock. Number two, And let's just call this what it is. Satan uses evil ways to get at us. Doesn't he? The enemy uses evil ways to get at us. We see this in the first part of verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is Jesus speaking. The devil's design is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And guess what? He never gives up. He never gives up. He never quits. Notice the progression here. And let's just be honest about this. Let's get this, right? First, he steals, and then he slaughters, and finally, he annihilates. He wants to keep us from the door. He wants to keep us from the door. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, listen to me. His desire is to print, prevent you prevent you from living life to the fullest. 1 Peter chapter 5 reminds us that, uh, th- of this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's cute, isn't it? James chapter 4 verse 7 gives us our strategy to overcome, right? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, there's at least three things that, that, that he does in our lives today. He, first, he steals our love. He steals our love. He steals our passion for him, right? Maybe we used to be on fire for God. Our appetite for his word was, was ferocious. Our witness was strong. Our prayers were intense, but now we're just walking through the motions. He kills our joy. He loves to get us to blame God for the bad things that have happened to us. He likes to destroy our purpose. Some of you have been knocked off track or distracted or, 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 or caught up in some other things that are not of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. His name is Jim Cimbala. 
Jim Simla pastors uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. Phenomenal church. If you go to Brooklyn Tab, just pack a lunch because you'll be there for a while, right? Their choir is unbelievable. It's like over 100 people that are up there in choir robes singing and dancing, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But he wrote a book called Breakthrough Prayer. In fact, Jim Simla is probably one of the greatest authors on prayer. He's written two or three books on prayer that are just phenomenal, just phenomenal. But he wrote a book called Breakthrough Prayer, and and he says this, passionate, desperate prayer is definitely out of vogue today. Maybe that's the reason why we experience so little divine blessing on both the church as a whole and her individual members. So often we seem content with the status quo rather than reaching out for more of God. Because of this, we seem to have little effect on the world around us. I shared that with our leaders on Monday night, thinking about how desperate prayer is definitely out of vogue today. Maybe that's the reason why we experience so little blessing, so little divine blessing on both the church as a whole and her individual members. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Who's getting the victory in your life? And then lastly, Jesus longs for us to live an abundant life. I love the end of that verse. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Jesus longs for us to live an abundant life. Jesus came to give us more than just freedom. He, gave, he came to give us more than just food. He wants to experience fullness. Fullness. And unfortunately, many of us are just limping through life as we stumble along in survival mode. Jesus not only came to save, Jesus not only came to give you safety, He came to satisfy. He came to satisfy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This word abundantly means beyond what is necessary. Isn't that awesome? This word abundantly, right? right? If you look at the meaning of that, if you look at the, 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 the Greek here, it, it means beyond what is necessary, exceeding, super abundant, or excessively superior. Let me ask you this question. Are you living that kind of life right now? Exceeding what is necessary, super abundant, excessively superior. Psalm 23, 5 says this, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Oh, what it would be like for the church to experience that today. Are you living that kind of life? Genesis 14, 16 tells us that Abraham... And the story there recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions. Listen to me, church. It's time to recover your stolen property. It's time to recover your stolen joy. It's time to recover your purpose. So I've got some action steps. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and Bree's going to start playing as we share these action steps. The first one is this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning 
And you say, you know what? I just got to open the door. I just got to open the door. Maybe you've been standing right here at the door. And I don't know what that door looks like. It could be a church decision. It could be a job decision. It could be a relationship decision. It could be a financial decision. I don't know what that door looks like for you. Maybe, may, maybe for some of you this morning, it's a door of salvation. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you've been kicking the tires of Jesus for a while, but you've never given your life to Him. And you've been standing at this door, and you're like, okay, okay, God, if you'll give me a sign, if you'll give me a sign, if you'll show up, right? I'll never forget the time I went ice fishing and I was trying to decide something. Okay, God, if you'll make one of these flags pop up, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll make that, I'll do that thing, right? How silly is that, right? He's like, hey, I'm right here. I'm the door. It's open. Walk through. Maybe some of you are standing at the door. Maybe some of you are standing at the door. And you just need to open the door to Jesus and restore your relationship with Him. Revelation 3.20, when Jesus is writing to the church at Laodicea, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in. What a promise. He's knocking at the door of your heart, wanting to come in, wanting to dine with you, wanting to have fellowship with you, wanting to spend time with you. Open the door. Maybe some of us are sitting here this morning. Hmm. And we need to stop grumbling because the judge is at the door. Remember, are we going to live based on our desires or God's design? James chapter 5, verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may, be, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Some of you may be avoiding the door because of something you've done. Some of you may be avoiding the door because you know what's on the other side of it. And there's guilt and there's shame that are standing between you and that door. Can I just tell you something? Think about the prodigal son. I mean, we know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know it, let me, let me sum it up for you really quickly. The son goes to his father and he's like, Dad, I'm done. I want my inheritance. I want to go out. I want to live life because I know better. Right? We all know what happens. He threw all the money away, all of his inheritance. He ended up living with the pigs, eating with the pigs, smelling like the pigs. Good day, huh? And he comes to the realization one day and he says, you know what? My father's servants live better than I'm living right now. I'm going to go home. Maybe, maybe dad will let me be one of the servants. Maybe he'll just let me be one of the servants. So he gets up, he starts heading home. Father, sitting on the porch, which is awesome because, man, if you have time to dive into this story, right, he's up there, and many commentators say he's been up there. Why? Because he's waiting for his son. And then we see something crazy in this time because fathers in that time they didn't run for anything they didn't run to the fridge they didn't run for anything they didn't run for a new truck with just 500 miles on it 
And yet this father gets up off his porch and runs to his son. And he restores his identity. He restores his value. He restores everything for him. And God uses this story as a symbol of his love for us. That there's nothing that can keep you out of that door. Nothing you've done today. Nothing you did yesterday. Nothing you did five years ago. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Just making it? No, come on now. That was weak. So everybody say nothing. There's nothing that can stand between you and that door. And some of us are allowing this guilt and this fear to keep us from walking through the door, from having fellowship with the Father, because we feel like, how can He love me? How can He love me? How can He love me? He does. And then lastly, lastly, maybe the action step for you is to start living on mission and walking through the doors that He's opened for you. See, we talk about this a lot. I don't have the platform that some of you have. I'm not a former police officer. Whoops. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preschool leader. I'm not a daycare owner. I don't work at Maine Med. I don't fly all over the country and get to be uh, next to, to people all of the time that, that need. I, I don't. Like, like my, my, my job most of the time my job description feels like, I'm not saying it is, but my job description most of the time feels like babysitting Christians. Lame. Right? And I look at some of you guys right now and, 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 and Sunday after Sunday and I think, man, oh, to be able to have an open door and an open dialogue to the number of people and the number of platforms that you have. And maybe the open door for you is to walk in tomorrow to your job and live like a Christian. To talk like one. Maybe the action step for you is to go in tomorrow or to talk to somebody this afternoon and tell them, you know what? We played Let's Make a Deal in church this morning. And here was the point, that there's no door that could ever be opened for me like the door of Jesus. He's better. He's better than anything I've got going. He's better than anything I've had going. And if you ever want to know more about him, let me, no, I'm willing to tell you. So maybe you're standing at the door and you've never had a relationship with Jesus and today is that day you need to walk through the door. Maybe you're standing at the door and there's fear and there's guilt and there's shame that's standing in between you and that abundant life that He died for. And maybe you're standing at the door today and you say, you know what? I'm tired of the status quo. There are people in my life that need to know where I stand with Jesus and I'm going to tell them. I'm going to live on mission. I'm going to embrace the platform that He's given me to go and share the gospel with all people. All people. 
you know, I don't think there's any bigger hatred in our culture today than looking at someone and saying, you're not worthy of the gospel. That's hate. And that's not of God. Because when God sent His Son to die for us, He did it for all people. Every race, every economic background, every ability, every disability, every person struggling with every type of temptation. Jesus came for. And He died for. And His desires that they would see that abundant life that He talks about here. That super abundant, that exceeding life. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that for you. I want that for my wife and my kids and my family. I I want that. I want that joy and that overflowing life. And I want to pray for that for you this morning. Let's pray.